That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network. A thousand years or more ago, when I was newly sown, there lived four wizards of renown whose names are still well known. Bold Gryffindor from Wildmoor, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, Shrewd Slytherin from Fen. They shared a wish, a hope, a dream. They hatched a daring plan to educate young sorcerers, thus Hogwarts school began. Now each of these four founders formed their own house for each did value different virtues in the ones they had to teach. By Gryffindor, the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission. And power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. While still alive, they did divide their favorites from the throng. Yet how to pick the worthy ones when they were dead and gone? "'Twas Gryffindor who found the way. He whipped me off his head. The founders put some brains in me so I could choose instead. Now slip me snug around your ears. I've never yet been wrong. I'll have a look inside your mind and tell where you belong." What's up, potheads? Welcome to the Restricted Section, a show in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss the way that the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we're talking about this week. Chapter 12, The Tri-Wizard Tournament. Safely at Hogwarts, the trio attends the sorting and then feasts in the Great Hall. Um, Mad-Eye Moody makes an extremely dramatic entrance, what with the lightning and his mismatched eyes, his very jacked up face, and the fact that he super unsuspiciously drinks from his own flask exclusively. It's not suspicious. Don't worry about it. It won't come up again. Dumbledore announces the Triwizard Tournament, a contest that is held for, you guessed it, three students. Full of hopes and dreams, none of which come true whatsoever, the gang goes upstairs and goes to bed. Welcome to the restricted section where we're okay with child death, but like not too much child death, like just the right amount of child death. I'm elated to be joined today by my meticulous friend, Haley. Say hello to the listeners, Haley. Hello, listeners. Did you have fun looking through the thesaurus for that one, Christina? <laughs> meticulous is surely a word that I had before I had to Oh, no, to no. Thesaurus. I just mean like <laughs> like going through the thesaurus for like your intros and these and just like picking out words. <laughs> I'm like, what's a word for perfectionistic and tedious, but like in a nice way? <laughs> <laughs> Only with some things. Other things I'm very chaotic about. I think I had a vision of you outlining your novel with elaborate note cards in my head as I was looking for this adjective for you. Well, you got me there. (laughs) (laughs) And we are so excited because our special guest this week is friend of the pod, Adam. Say hello to the listeners, Adam. What's up, listeners? How's it going? Excited to be here. This should be a lot of fun. Yes! Adam is one of my oldest friends, and I'm so glad to finally get you here on the pod to chat about Harry Potter. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your very hairy history? When did it start? When did you read them? When did you watch them? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was one of those kids who grew up in a fundy house um, and did not initially have access to Harry Potter. Um, and then, what year was that? 
not important probably. Um, I think it was between freshman and sophomore year. I spent the summer living with a different family a lot of the time, just out of sheer like things happening. Uh, and they had the audiobooks on CD. And Jim Dale uh. is the best audiobook reader, according to Guinness, because that's how that works when you do unique voices. Um, and he is very good. And I was like, let's try these books out, I guess. And I actually started with Goblet of Fire because it's what was like in the room I was sleeping in. Uh, and then it was cool. And I went back through it. And there have always been things that are like, why... Why is this built this way? And also, I think the thing I like the most about uh, the Harry Potter universe is that it's it's a lot of framework description without big depth in detail. And so it leaves all of this room for the fandom to have the debates and the arguments over why is it this way? How is it that way? Yeah. What about this other thing? And I think a lot of fiction... Uh, especially since Harry Potter is deeply concerned as it's created with giving you those answers. And yeah. I think that can be really detrimental to like the story. It can literally be distracting to over decorate the story with world details as it's going yes. along. And so I think the thing that drew us all in so much with Hogwarts and the rest of the wizarding world is that it's always just these like almost throwaway one-liners where it's like, oh, let me imagine about this for the next, you know, 30 minutes and then have a debate with my friends tomorrow as we ride the school bus. And I think mm -hmm. I think that really is where a lot of it embedded for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Haley and I are both editors and Haley, I don't know about you, but I have told a lot of my authors to just like, you need to trust your reader more than you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Like, um, they don't need to know that this character is 5'10", slim, in her 60s, with a bun and deep green eyes. Just say that she's severe with a bun and like, that's Professor McGonagall. Like, you don't need to like, give every single detail. Just like, just like paint a picture in like a, as few words as you can and like move on. Yeah, I, I think a lot of writing is about just like how much information you reveal and when you reveal it. Yeah. Uh, and so like I think a lot of uh, writers, especially with like fantasy and sci-fi stuff, they get really excited about everything they make. Um, and they just like, they, they want everyone. It's like when people write about boats, like anything that takes place on a ship. Oh my God. It's like I had to, yeah, like... I fucking you can call just me say Ishmael. Melville. I was gonna say you can just yeah, say Melville. Melville. Yeah, like call me <laughs> call me Ishmael. My author uh, has repressed gay feelings and I uh, uh, spent like five How five repressed? weeks on a. Uh, eh, I mean, it wasn't repressed. It wasn't very repressed at all. Um, he spent like a month on a whaling ship and learned what the ropes do, and now I am going to make that your problem for five hundred pages. I'm trying to remember what I was reading recently where they were on a boat and they suddenly reverted to like boat lingo. And I was like, well, now I have no idea. It's what's literally going on. any story that's ever been written that takes place on a boat. The only one that I know of that doesn't do that is the second Lies of Locke Lamora book because they, it's like a plot point that they don't know anything about sailing. Oh. And they're just like, oh, we don't give a fuck about any of this. <laughs> Um, that wasn't the book I was thinking of because I was. The, the, it was actually I'm remembering now a spaceship. <laughs> so maybe uh, uh, maybe it's not as applicable as I thought it was. Could be yeah. Could be a little out of frame. 
No, no, it's the it's kind of the same mentality. It's just like in that case, the author had to like make up how everything works. So it's even more boring than learning about what the ropes do. See, I feel opposite. I think that it's like more interesting if it's a spaceship for sure. Mm, it depends if what's going on with the spaceship is actually relevant. Because uh, like with with boat stuff, I'm sorry, I just really hate boats in fiction. <laughs> I really, since college, I have hated boats in fiction. And it's just like, we, we need to turn three degrees to the east. <laughs> Cue 20 pages of them turning the boat three degrees to the east. Say, so do you hate boats or do you hate Moby Dick by Herman Melville? Because this <laughs> I, continues I to feel very both. targeted. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have strong feelings about like boats in general. I'm happy to be on a boat. I uh, I wouldn't even mind learning to operate a small sailing craft. I think that might be fun. You um, would look but so I'm, cute in a little sailing outfit. I would look really cute in a little hat. sailing outfit. Yeah, I, I rock the whole thing. Quite frankly, I do. I do it's like true. the ascot. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Haley, you're getting too used to me telling you you look good in every outfit <laughs> well i would I, in fact no but you're always right <laughs> you give me confidence i just i just don't like boats in fiction it's usually victorian era gentlemen's dusters i'm like oh Haley needs that like what the heck yeah one day i've always wanted one ever since ever since i was a weed lad <laughs> anyway listeners you're welcome for the writing advice that scene you just wrote with the boat Delete it. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Um, it's funny because before we started recording, Adam and I were talking about um when they uh I don't know the proper term, when they like redid Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and they took out a lot of the tedious boat action. <laughs> Too much boat. A game literally centered around sailing around the world was improved by removing a sizable <laughs> quantity of the sailing. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe this miserable job is a bad uh, format for a video game. Mm. Right. I do love that game. It is a good Part game. Part of my, like, uh, my stoner energy is like, I'm content to just sail around and cut grass in turns. <laughs> um, Adam, we got very derailed. What Hogwarts house um, do you identify most with? Uh... For a long time, I was deeply uncertain, and then I embraced the fact that I really like weed, so I'm a Hufflepuff. Yes! That's sometimes all the reason you need. I'm also a professional enabler. Uh, I love it. Because, like, truly, I personally have made so many of my friends in my life, like, through weed, you know? It is... Uh, Haley, I'll light up now, too. Yeah, <laughs> solidarity! Cheers! Cheers! There is an episode of this podcast that comes out on 420, and we are, that is going to be like the one episode where I don't edit out all of the smoking sounds that I edit out from every other episode. There you go. <laughs> Which episode was that? No, it's coming. This oh, oh, The okay. upcoming 420. It comes out on 420. So everyone brace yourselves. <laughs> I thought you'd like recorded it last 420, and then like we're just holding <laughs> on to it, and I forgot. <laughs> just keeping a chapter in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really chaotic. Like, I can't operate on that level of chaos. We're not okay. going to talk it's about it. It's good to know where your limits are. <laughs> um, speaking of 420, here's a fun fact about 1120, aka November 20th. That's our girl Grace's birthday. So happy birthday to our beloved co-host and friend, Grace. Happy birthday, what? Grace. Happy birthday. Yeah, you can wish her happy birthday on social media. If you look at her social media, it looks like all her accounts are dead, but she'll get your message. I She's know she there. checks them. She's the queen lurker. 
Um, or send an email to restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com and I will forward it to her directly. Before we jump into this week's chapter, uh, we have a quick little owl mail. This is from our beloved friend and listener, Mots. He sent this two months ago and I was like, well, I'll just go ahead and tuck this one away for when the relevant chapter comes up. The subject line is just theory, parentheses, sorry about the length, and parentheses. <laughs> Ominous. Um, it's a sorting hat theory. That's why I've saved it. Because, spoiler alert, this is, there's a spoil, there's a, wait, a spoiling hat. <laughs> a sorting hat. A sorting hat. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be the worst hat ever. <laughs> Spoils everything. You're just watching a movie? It's a stupid <laughs> Um, do y'all watch, um... The TV show, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. I really need to catch I've up on I've not watched yeah. the show. I love well, the one film. one of the characters has a cursed hat, and I feel like that's cursed hat energy, is that it just whispers spoilers to <laughs> you. Don't get too attached to that guy. He doesn't make it. So Mott says, hello there. And I know from getting enough emails from Mott that I'm supposed to say General Kenobi. Um, I've been rereading the books lately, and I've got a theory on the sorting hat. I genuinely do not know if this is my own theory or if I read or heard it a long time ago and that a memory of it just resurfaced. Anyway, dot, dot, dot. I've always wondered why no one in Ron's family ever told him about the house sorting and how the sorting hat works. Like, Ron has five older siblings and two parents, all of whom have attended Hogwarts and gotten sorted at some point. How the hell does Ron not know about the sorting hat? My theory is that at some point the sorting hat had a Fidelius charm placed on it. The Fidelius charm makes it impossible for anyone except the person who cast it, the secret keeper, to reveal an object's location or even existence. Even a person who has had the secret revealed to them cannot pass on the secret to someone else. This does raise some questions, though, like, for instance, who is the secret keeper and why would anyone do that? (laughs) As for the who, my primary suspect has to be... Albus Dumbledore. Why? Well, what is Dumbledore's main motive for basically everything he ever does at any point in his life, Haley? He's a wizard, so I mean, he he's all about the, <laughs> the drama. drama. Yeah, the drama. It's the drama. Yeah. Just picture Dumbledore sitting at his desk trying to figure out how to properly run his school, by which I mean how to make it as dramatic as possible. Hmm. What if I placed a Fidelius charm on a sorting? making it impossible for anyone to talk about it to anyone who hasn't seen it. Oh, this would make it so easy for older students to mess with their younger siblings. What if what if someone tells their sibling that in order to get sorted, they have to wrestle troll or something? That would be hilarious. Makes sense to me. But Mots, I hear you say, there's dialogue in this email. Well, it's my dialogue. <laughs> What about the scene in the epilogue with the whole Albus Severus bravest man I knew bullshit where Harry talks to his son about the sorting hat taking your choices into account? Well, I'm glad you asked. At the beginning of the second Wizarding War, Dumbledore placed a Fidelius charm on 12 Grimmauld Place to make it safe headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix. However, when Snape killed Dumbledore in Book 6, spoiler alert, Snape kills Dumbledore in Book (laughs) 6, every member of the Order automatically became secret keepers, which led to the Order having to abandon it as headquarters because everyone was convinced that Snape, who as a member of the Order, would be a secret keeper at this point, was on Voldemort's side. Applying this knowledge to what we know about the sorting hat, I think it makes sense. After Dumbledore's death, just like with 12 Grimald Place, 
Every person who knew, uh, knew about the Sorting Hut, including students, faculty, and staff, current and former, could freely talk about the Sorting Hut to anyone they wanted, which is why Harry is able to do so in the epilogue. R.I.P. the drama. I think the only thing I'm having trouble explaining is how Dumbledore is not the one who tells us about the Sorting Hat if he is the only one who can, because I think McGonagall's the one who introduces that. But I guess it makes sense in a way as the one who tells us about the Sorting Hat. Oh, it, okay. Well, no, Mots goes on to clarify. I should have just let him handle it. Um, the one who tells us about the Sorting Hat and its function is the Sorting Hat itself, because the Sats Hat song is the first time we learn about it. I don't no, every good email ends with I don't know. I think given how little we know about the Fidelius charm and also the sorting hat itself, it doesn't really break the theory if we don't know exactly how this works. Anyway, that's it for, for this time. I'm sure it won't be the last. Apologies for the super long email. Love you all. Love this podcast. M. Fur. Oh, and he even specifies that the fake Dumbledore quote is to be read in Andrew's Dumbledore voice specifically. <laughs> oh, we'll have to phone a just, friend for that. Just get get Andrew to like just record <laughs> that, that. Funny. and then insert it. Um, so I that was a lot of words. I understand, but like I really like that theory personally. Yeah, um, I was actually kind of thinking about that. I uh, when I was like reading through, like catching up on the chapters and everything as well, because. Um, my theory was just that, like, the Weasleys, at least Arthur and Molly, are extremely lawful, and they're just like, no, 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 no. It is tradition <laughs> that your kids go in blind, and we're just going to foster a sense of constant competitiveness between our sons so that they just think it's the funniest goddamn thing in the world to not tell their younger brothers or sister eventually what's coming uh because like they're doing it with the triwizard tournament mm. too they just habitually do not tell their kids stuff simply for the sake of surprising mm. them um so i think i think it's arthur and molly being super lawful but i also i uh, like Mott's Mott's theory i uh, and i think the answer to both why besides the drama and also to who the who the Fidelius charm would have been cast by or or who who the mm -hmm. secret keeper is i uh, i think the secret keeper is the hat itself mm. um cuz who better uh and i think that the reasoning would be because like like school houses are just a thing in right. the UK. Like a lot of Commonwealth countries just do that in schools. Like that's just how you're. We did that in like um. We did that in middle school. Adam. Yeah, middle school had teams. I was gold team. Yep. Green team. What's mm -hmm, up? Mm -hmm. What team were you on in seventh grade? Because I was a laser. <laughs> oh. was the coolest name. Oh no. Um, I just what's a word that sounds like laser? I don't even remember. Rec oh God, why do I remember this? Lasers, comets, stars. There's at least one other. Yeah, because you haven't listed mine yet. Dang it. Oh, man. Of all the things my brain would know to begin with. The fact that you guys went to any kind of a school that even made an effort to create any sense of camaraderie between the student body is insane to me. We were just left to our um, own devices. We definitely derailed your um, point, Haley. Can you please carry on? <laughs> I'm just kind of blown away by the fact that that was a thing in Virginia. Anyway, um,. Like, I think with most schools, it just, like, doesn't matter. You're probably just, like, sorted in kind of at random. But with Hogwarts, of course, everything has to have some kind of a magical backstory. And if you, like, go into the sorting already, like, knowing mm -hmm. 
what like what the what it takes to be in a house like it could like skew your results like a so, observer bias right exactly so just like if you don't if you don't like know going in how to cheat the test because like you no one can literally physically tell you about it then right. like you're you're getting pure results i guess would be Makes sense. I do and like also that. mainly though mainly though just drama <laughs> and and drama yes indeed my only concern in potential and potential po- uh, hole poking i suppose is mm-hmm. then how does Ron in this chapter know that it sings a different song every time? Because was he there when Harry wasn't the other any of the other times? Yeah, year three, Harry had passed out on the train or something. So I think Ron was there last year. Okay. To see the singing. That's right. Well, then in that case, I love it. <laughs> and it holds up. I like the idea. I liked the idea whether it held up or not because I'm, in, I'm into the magic for the drama because what is more albus dumbledore than magic for the drama right he he really is trying to like build a brand for his school (laughs) an air of mystery and nonsense at all times and this this whole thing goes back to and this is why i love getting emails from mots um going back to what you said at the beginning adam about how this world just leaves so much room for interpretation so I love hearing new perspectives and getting mm-hmm. to chat it out. It, that's why I started this podcast. <laughs> so this chapter starts, what chapter is this? Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, in which there, we do, it's, it's not the Triwizard Tournament. We just learn about it. Yeah, it's a real fake zero, out. Yeah, zero Triwizard Tormenting happens in this. <laughs> tormenting, I said tormenting. Um. <laughs> Well, speaking of tormenting, um, they come in from the rain, from the train, um, from the plane, um, and they run inside to get dry, but but Psych Peeves is throwing water balloons at everybody, which makes me, <laughs> I mean. I, I loved I loved everything about that choice as a, as a tone set for going into yes. the chapter, the, the feeling of both the, the dark stormy night energy, and then the almost whimsy but also being attacked that is peeves every time like it's what yes. makes peeves glorious it's like hey my buddy peeves oh no my buddy peeves like every time yeah he um i've said before that he's like a manifestation of the school sometimes and it's I like liked that. welcome bitch i'm not gonna hurt you but i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, definitely gonna make your life harder <laughs> you're gonna be grumpy that's for sure hijinks <laughs> Hogwarts hijinks is a thing. They should brand that as part. They should trademark that as part of their brand. <laughs> clearly, clearly an offshoot from Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's like their student line. We're a conglomerate now, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ron gets like Ron gets wet. And Peeves is like, but they're all, who cares? They're all already wet. <laughs> it's, it is the most logical thing I think we hear Peeves argue at any point in the books. Because McGonagall immediately is like, Peeves, get out of here. And he's like, <laughs> yes. why? <laughs> <laughs> it's like when my cat is scratching the chair in the living room for like the 1000th consecutive day in a row. And I'm like, hey, stop that. And then he looks at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, whatever could the trouble be? Like, like, come on, man. There's freshmen here. They're so cold. 
I do like how I kind of the end of the last chapter and the beginning of this is kind of setting up the Ron drama later on. Because like Ron, it, <laughs> drama Rana, <laughs> the drama Rana, if you will. <laughs> Uh, cause he's just getting like relentlessly shit on this whole night. Like mm. R- Malfoy, the worst Shut possible person in the world sees his dress robes, which is just like, oh, nightmare scenario. I've actually <laughs> dreamed about this. Um, <laughs> Haley, you look great in those dress robes. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. <laughs> they weren't great. They were not great. Um, I don't do lace. Uh, but on a duster, like on a good velvety duster. Okay, all right, <laughs> with a duster. Yeah, but it's maroon. Mm. Yeah, Haley, definitely. Her, your complexion calls for a bottle green, so you'd look great in Harry's robes. There anyway, it is. <laughs> uh, like he, he's the one who gets splashed just like directly over the head by Peeves. Like Harry and Hermione dodge it. Ron gets a full fit, like a face full. Just a, one thing after another. For him and it's all kind of built like he's already grumpy about the robes and like that just this whole day has just been building up toward ron's ron's working his way through a little resentment there yeah the first way to starting to process some baggage is to be really shitty about it in your teens for several years <laughs> <laughs> before you realize you can't treat people that way and coming around to therapy it's part it's part of it's part of the journey do wizards have therapists? No, I feel like they no, don't, and no. that explains most of what's going uh, wrong, right? Yeah, they have no. no one grounding to speak of with. Of course not. No, Ever. no, no. It's where's the drama in therapy? <laughs> Ask Hannibal. <laughs> Some of the most dramatic times of my life have been in therapy. Side note: I think that Hannibal Lecter's a wizard. That's that on that. That's that on that. We are going to do a bonus episode about, like, you can bring to the table any other character or actual human being that you think might be a wizard. Like Elton John, you know, like, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, those outfits. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He thinks he's dressing normally. No one tell him. (laughs) He's in incognito as a muggle and doing a bad job. (laughs) Oh, I love that a lot. Okay, well, anyway, check back in, like, six months for that bonus episode. Um, They go into the Great Hall. Colin Creevy comes to say hi and tell Harry that his brother Dennis is starting out of Hogwarts that year. (sighs) Take a hint, Colin. He's not gonna fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) My literal note here was that Colin Creevy is written less obnoxiously than Harry treats him here. And I think a lot of that is holdover because definitely historically Colin has been more obnoxious than he is at this first chunk. But then by later in the chapter, he's back at it and suddenly I don't feel quite as bad. Well, in this moment, he's just a proud, subdued older brother. Yeah, I don't really like Colin. I have a very low tolerance for people who don't. And I know this is mean, but like when I, <laughs> I just feel like there's like, you know, like I'm wet, I'm trying to go sit down. Like I'm, I'm like on a beeline with my friends. Like, like now's not the time, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Also, we I- skipped Harry pulling the dopest Eeyore moment because, uh, nearly headless nick is there when he sits down at first and says good evening and harry literally responds with says who 
<laughs> Can I just briefly on on the subject of nearly headless Nick? Um, he's dressed for the occasion. He's wearing uh, a, an unusually large ruff, and I know we've talked about this. I know we've talked about ghost stationery. I know we've talked about ghost horses. <laughs> ghost I know we've letters. talked about ghost logistics in general. Yeah. Can we talk about ghost closets for like two seconds? <laughs> ghost well, fashion. Th- <laughs> I, I just I want to. I want, how much? How much does he have? How did it come to the afterlife with him? What's it made of? How did he make it? Well, uh, you know. Okay, have you seen the movie Ghost starring Patrick Swayze? <laughs> I think when I was like seven. Okay, that's one of my favorite movies and I watch it several times a year. So I'm going to use that as a reference. Patrick Swayze, spoiler alert, dies very early on in the movie and becomes a ghost. <laughs> no. And the whole the whole movie is about him trying to like connect with his girlfriend, Demi Moore, because she's like in danger from white men seeking money. Duh. Um, and Aren't we it all? Take, Classic. It takes him like the whole movie to figure out how to interact with the human world on his like ghosty plane and he like has to go get like a training montage and everything and then he like learns to move pennies around um so anyway so i think that like when ghosts die it's like this elaborate process of trying to figure out like how to interact with the physical plane and it probably takes a lot of energy so i think like the hogwarts ghosts are in on it together and if they like really want to if they really manifest their energy they can just yoink some clothes into the ghost world that's my theory all right She's not buying it. Her face. Is so I'm not. Skeptical. I'm not buying it. But I wouldn't buy anything. <laughs> is it possible that he's simply killing that look, and that's enough? Whoa! Well done. That solved it. That was an awful pun. I got but bad not, puns honestly, and dad puns. Good a what do you want? It, it, it was a bad pun, but it was as good a theory as any. <laughs> Wait, he got. No, he didn't. He got beheaded. Never mind. I was going to say he got stabbed through his clothes, so they died with him. But no, no, it happened distinctly. Um, anyway, so McGonagall leads the first years in for the sorting. They're all drenched and freezing. Like, isn't there a spell for that? Just to yeah. make them, like, comfortable. <laughs> no. No, this is this is what Hogwarts is. This is the next seven years of your life. Get used to it. If you fall in the lake, you fall in the lake. We have long established child endangerment is the status quo in the wizarding world. Not like a sometimes. It's so wild that like no one person in this room is just like just a little bit of a like a warm breeze. Like nope. anyone in this room. Absolutely not. <laughs> Especially Dennis fell into the lake and is like on the border of getting hypothermia. Like somebody do something. No, no, the the great squid the the squid grabbed him. He's he's just vibrating with energy. That's going to he's going to dry off faster than any of those other kids. Also, I know that like Colin Creevy is incredibly annoying. I know Dennis is also kind of annoying. But his introduction here is that he's just like draped in a giant fur coat and giving like a double thumbs up across the room. <laughs> like what a fucking legend. It's what so a kid. adorable. Hell yeah, Dennis. I'm like kind of still laughing as you writing off our last point by just saying he's vibrating with squid energy and then like moving <laughs> And that kid, the head kid who fell on the lake is a fucking G. <laughs> It is an entrance for sure. It reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, like Jon Snow or something. Just like way more furs than person over there. 
Um, the hat sings its song. Um, and the sorting commences, but it's like not really a big deal because we don't really care about any of these people except Dennis, kind of, because we know his name and he gets sorted into Gryffindor because he's already been so brave. He already fell in the lake and made it out alive. This is like falling in the lake during a storm and being rescued by the giant squid and being absolutely like stoked about it is strong, strong Gryffindor energy. It really yeah. is. <laughs> Okay, so the food finally appears, and um, yeah, everyone's like starving. They're like chit chatting. Nearly Headless Nick is talking about how they're lucky that there's a feast at all because Peeves was causing trouble in the kitchens earlier because he was forbidden from attending the feast. Which, like, wow, having Peeves is like having like a like a three year old. It's like no con- conception of like cause and effect. <laughs> Can't see a plate of food without throwing it is yeah. the exact it's, phraseology. Yeah. It's such yeah. a perfect line. Yes. It sums it up so so perfectly. Another one of those one liners that like carries a lot of meaning. But so this is when Hermione learns that Hogwarts uses house elves for for labor, per, for free labor. I mean we learn later that Dumbledore is, like, perfectly willing to pay. Um, but there's also probably not, like, a union out there trying to, like, get them to ask for better rights, you well, know? Well, there is and there isn't. Do you consider Dobby a union? <laughs> no, he's not nearly yeah. organized one, enough. Okay. One, yeah, yeah, first off, there's not enough organization for that to be a union. And secondly... <laughs> One person isn't an organization, which is the other problem Dobby finds himself faced with throughout this book. Right. As he attempts yes. to lead house elf liberation uh, in spite of the rest of his people's uh, complete objection to what I would describe as colonization on some level. Oh my God. Okay. I want to see like this as a comic now of just like Dobby's Dobby's time attempting to like incite. Like he's it's been radicalized. It's called yeah. Dobby's Uprising. He's yeah, just he's, Lenin with bigger ears and shorter legs. What are you expecting? He's been radicalized. He's trying to bring them all over to <laughs> So we've talked before about how this is like a really good example of an issue that the author of this book series brought up because um, sometimes authors think that it's like checking a box of some kind or something, but it like their the narrative was never prepared to really truly and comprehensively take on the issue of slavery. So the two characters, Hermione and Dobby, who give a shit about house el- actual house elf rights and protection are, as they're doing so, the narrative casts this like totally bonkers light on them. Like they're being really weird. No, it's very, it's very the uh, air quotes SJW reading right. of everything. Like is the attitude that the narration is taking throughout every time Hermione is like, Wait, what? And they're like, because she was a very silly little girl who didn't understand what she was talking about, is like the subtext under everything Hermione is doing. And it's maybe one of my biggest frustrations with Rowling. uh, Should I not say the name? I don't know what the the protocol is. Don't say his name. Sorry. One, One of the biggest frustrations is the way it feels in a lot of the books like she dislikes Hermione. In mm-hmm. so many ways. And I, and I understand they're, they're the arguments of how much of the, the narrative voice is supposed to be hairy versus neutrality. Because um, there is obviously lots of coloration in the tone that is supposed to, like, 
be bringing you along as the reader with Harry. And I think that's one of the stronger things about the writing is Mm -hmm. the way the world sort of reveals itself to you in line with what's being revealed to Harry as a character. So it really strengthens that identity as you go through Mm -hmm. the narrative. Yeah. Voice. Yeah. But but at the same time, the, the narrator is so flippant and so convinced, like, immediately that Hermione is being ridiculous. Well, here's the thing is, the, this book series starts with Hermione, I think, kind of objectively being quite obnoxious in the beginning of The Sorcerer's Stone, because mm-hmm. as we've, we've explored this in depth... Only child, light of her parents' life, didn't have a lot of opportunity for being, like, policed socially. Absolutely. Um, And so, but, like, she really um, comes to terms with and overcomes that during the course of that first book. And obviously, some of it lingers because everybody has character flaws. But I think that a good way to kind of mitigate these two things, um, like Harry's voice and Hermione's representation, is to have Harry get over that a lot sooner, the way that she got over being annoying a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, to have her still being portrayed this way in book four, when, like, we're... I mean, this is starting to get real. We're starting to grow up. It's just, like, we're we're sick of it. (laughs) Well, and we know Harry thinks better of Hermione in general, and it's this one particular topic... That mm-hmm. gets all of the oh Hermione energy this book, whereas in yeah. like in book three it's that she's always so frazzled and run around, and then of course we come to find out why. But like that's yeah. the whole point there. And in book two right. it's her figuring it out and then getting petrified, and mm-hmm. so like she serves a primary mechanical function in each novel. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they had to take her out. They were like, you you just have to be unconscious for the second half of book two because you are, you're going to make our team too OP. Like, this is going to get resolved too quickly. Had to nerf <laughs> but it. But actually, you're still going to resolve it in the end, though. <laughs> yeah, I've seen so many different takes on, like, how, like, how the house elf thing, and especially, like, Hermione and the house elf thing is problematic. Like, there's obviously uh, the one that you mentioned, Adam, of just, like, how dismissive the text is of Hermione. Um, and then there's also people talking about, like, the way that Hermione is approaching all of this is very, like, non-intersectional white feminist, like, Mm. has strong feelings but isn't taking like the actual wants or needs of the people she's trying to help into account and then Mm -hmm. of course there's the added layer of the fact that like yeah the house elves are based on like an actual type of like european folklore thing but they're characterized like old-timey minstrel show stuff about like the like help? people of color but yeah the help like people of color who like like the whole picking anything of just yeah. like i'm happy to be a servant this is the only yeah. kind of life that i want like that's that's kind of how the house elves are portrayed and it's like ah, right. uh, it's well and mm, yeah it's that it's that mm. even even if that's the case in in our fictional universe right and they're purely happy our real life author thought it was a cool idea to write a fictional world where that was true and it's right. like it doesn't yes. end up absolving anything <laughs> right yeah. because we're still sitting in what is fundamentally just a giant cesspit of of really just anti-black tropes that yes. go back to forever in britain right absolutely yeah. and like really the only way if you're going to have 
these kinds of characters of the house elves in this kind of book series, the only way for that, like, why bring it up if you're not going to say something? So, like, it would have involved, I think, Dobby really taking control of the situation in an organized way and becoming, like, a person, like, a self-advocate and really helping some of his peers. And I think that's, like, and, like, everyone learning a lot about marginalization in the process, you know? Yeah, this is why we need Dobby's uprising. The house elves need their Kwame and Krumah. Yes. So I just, uh, yeah, don't don't start talking about something that you're not. Yeah. <laughs> not just... Yeah. Anyway, Hermione decides to go on a hunger strike. It... <clears throat> yeah, the, the text makes her out to be a bit hysterical, but like, whatever. Say, so I think I think there's a reasonable argument. She's just simply lost her appetite over the whole idea wow, beyond that's true. beyond. Ju- uh, and there's obviously like clear political behavior throughout the yeah. rest of the novel but but in the immediacy of the discovery i think she's mostly just like excuse me okay i want nothing to do with it any of it like it's just it's sense. almost a straight up revulsion at the whole concept that like there are house elves here at hogwarts is her lo- like she's stunned and then nick nick is super flippant and it's just like of course who do you think handled all the work <laughs> And it's like talk about an old white guy. Oh, I thought no, I thought it was magic. I live in, oh, I live in Tennessee, castle. and this sounds too familiar. Oh no! Man. Maybe they could even just like hire help ethically. <laughs> That's the thing is like Dobby should have negotiated for like savings accounts to be opened for like all of these house elves, you know, for their legacy, like for whatever they need. So many solutions to just being like, well, if only they wanted to get paid. Oh, well. What's Yeah, what's the house elf equivalent of land back? Oh, like we don't know enough about their history. No one bothered to <laughs> write it down. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Guys, my next note is just Ron spotted dick in all capitals. Yes. <laughs> because that's what they're eating. And <laughs> we're playing um. There is a bonus episode that we did called Soup Salad Sandwich where you have to I had my Harry Potter unofficial cookbook and we were deciding if items from the world of Harry Potter were soup salad or sandwich. And anyway, we just we had a good time with Spotted Dick. I don't remember what it is, but I don't really know what Spotted Dick is like just in general. I man, if only we had my cookbook. It's hmm. like a meatloaf, isn't it? You can't type it in. Don't type it in. No, I have to <laughs> know. Dessert. I gotta know. Yeah, but they make meat pies there too, so their <laughs> definition of what is and isn't dessert is not a thing you want to trust. Yeah, that's fair. It's a hundred percent a steamed pudding. Pudding is also a word that can't be trusted in the UK. <laughs> right. Well, I'm leaning soup. It is a dessert. It's definitely a baked good. Mm, like that's it's, a sandwich. It's like, well, I mean, it's a cake. Uh, sandwich. It won't. You gotta pick soup, salad, or sandwich. Salad. It looks the most like those gelatin seven-layer Midwest salads. Ooh, nice. That's what okay, I see okay. when I look at this. <laughs> okay. It's just bread instead of gelatin. All right. It's time for Dumbledore. It's time for Dumbledore's <laughs> speech. Um, he's just doing like some housekeeping stuff, banned items, and like banned locales. Um, and then he's like, ah, "Quidditch is canceled, bitch." And <laughs> I'm sure he did that. He like he could have said that after his next announcement but he says it before i think for the shock value drama yup 
He probably thinks he's so funny. (laughs) But before he can carry on, the door bangs open and a man enters. And he's hot and he's sweaty. He fell in a river. He kind of made out with a horse at one point. He's warning you that the Urukai are on their way to Helm's Deep. Wrong fucking series. God damn it. Oh man, this is like the unhottest, the unhottest. Um, can we can we talk about how much the description of Moody reeks of ableism? Everything about it is designed to be so repulsive, and it's like he has a prosthetic eye and a prosthetic leg. But we're gonna describe him. I think what what was the words? He had he had a face that looked like it had been carved from rough wood. By someone who didn't quite know what a face was supposed to look. I need the exact <laughs> quote. It's along what those a lines. What sick burn. It's preposterous. This reminds me of, um, my friend Adrian is very funny, and she always tells me that she thinks her face looks like it's made out of wood, and I've never, ever understood what that meant. What the fuck is, what? I have no, no I idea, can picture. Dude. No, I can picture this. I can't, I've met Adrian. <laughs> Here we go. It looked as though it had been carved out of weathered wood by someone who had only the vaguest idea of what human faces are supposed to look like and was none too skilled with a chisel. Oof. Damn. Is a chisel even what you would use to carve wood? I, it, to carve his face, yeah, apparently. Yeah, it turns out. Yeah, really, like, this dude has been... We we see other aurors. They are not described like this. Yeah. Something happened to Moody. Like, I feel like he You're got... outright mean. Yeah, I feel like he got, like, most of these all at once. Like, like well, later, I don't know. Well, later, we talk the... about him raising, uh, raising a sausage to what was left of his nose. Yeah, he really sounds like uh, he, like, was in World War One. At one point, just like did wizard school, World War One, and then I uh, was an auror after getting like Damn. hit hit with a grenade. I was gonna say that he's probably the only auror in history who's ever gotten into a proper Muggle fist fight. I definitely believe he's gotten into a proper Muggle fist fight. I don't know enough about aurors to exclude the rest of them because Kingsley's Kingsley's hard enough. I think he'd take a swing at somebody. Man. Kingsley Shacklebolt would take you down if he had to. Kingsley would not start a fight, but Kingsley would finish a fight, <laughs> like a fist fight. Haley, yeah. you get me. No, he's <laughs> like I, I always picture Kingsley as sort of like the wizard uh, Captain Holt. Fine, you're a good cop, even if you are a thirsty ass bitch. I yep. like that. <laughs> <laughs> if he can't resolve it with a dance off, then uh, he's gonna go full punk on you. Oh, so good. I also believe that any single one of the Weasleys would punch someone if they had to. Oh yeah, no, we've no, we've been over that. All of the Weasleys are ready, ready to throw down at any moment. But I'm also just thinking about that time that Ron and Harry get in their physical fight <laughs> in the seventh book, and it's just like a like it's a, a slap, slap and a fight. slap back. Yeah. It's like so, and They've like never somehow, fought each other. Like the in the movie, it's like so. It's supposed to be such a dramatic, somber scene, and it's just so funny. It's clown like, shoes the whole time. <laughs> like, anyone who's raised with that many brothers knows how to, like, shove someone. Can, anyway. can confirm. I have one brother. <laughs> can confirm. Yeah, honestly, it, 
any amount of brothers or even siblings. Friends? Is acquaintances <laughs> through childhood come on yeah childhood yeah in my adulthood we don't wrestle nearly as much but alexis still shoves me in a hamper every once in a while <laughs> um yeah his eyes uh don't match one is like a small beady i think like his like original eye um and then the other one is a big blue eye that's rolling around frenetically. Yeah. So the, the, I, my note is there are a lot of words devoted to his entrance. It's like extremely dramatic. He shakes Dumbledore's hand. Dumbledore introduces him um as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Professor Mad-Eye Moody, whom we heard about uh 2 chapters ago. Um, when we heard about him for the first time, it was because he had had some trouble with like a false intruder warning, false in like dramatic quotes. Um, and he had upset <laughs> some of his like alarm dustbins. Yeah, yeah his trash cans were attacking somebody, basically. <laughs> yeah, it, it was probably just a cat and Bertha Jorkins is fine. This was, as we know now, the old switcheroo. I know what you're talking about. There is no war in bossing, say, Christy. (laughs) We've brought up Lord of the Rings. We've brought up Avatar. And if we can also manage to bring up Percy Jackson in this conversation, we'll have hit the trifecta. There we go. We got to cross the streams. It's raining a lot. Percy Jackson would have loved this day. (laughs) Crushed it. He sent the squid to save Dennis. Ooh, that's better. That's fun. Only Hagrid and Dumbledore applaud for him because I think everyone's just like a little alarmed by the dramatic entrance. And then Dumbledore returns to his announcement. Okay, get this. The moment you've all been waiting for, the Triwizard Tournament will be held at Hogwarts this year. What? And then Fred goes, you're joking. And everyone laughs and like, I'm literally that person. (laughs) No, it's such a great immediate, like, reminder of Fred's character, at, like, mm-hmm. at Fred and George at their core as being this this place that tension can go to die. Um, <laughs> because I he just, that. he obliterates it in this two-word moment, and even Albus ends up chuckling. And it's it's the thing that diffuses all of the tension from who is this dude who just cavorted into the great hall in the middle of everything, looking like not maybe a whole person. With lightning. <laughs> yes, also lightning. Very, um, the, the drama. In the movie, in the movie, he like comes out and like, I don't even really know. I don't know if he's like, I have a headache that Sky needs to shut up or something, but he like lightnings the lightning. Yeah, he like attacks the ceiling on some level. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Moody, it's paint. Do you, what are you doing? But yeah, no. <laughs> Well, the polyjuice can't be fun, spoilers and whatnot, but polyjuice can't be fun, so I would expect even if it's in maintenance rather than the whole transformation all the time. Oh, yeah. Because we know he's about to take another swig from his flask, and so we, as informed readers who have cheated by knowing the rest of the books, um, like, there's an argument that his whole response throughout this is him just being, like, uncomfortable as things start trying to shift and then have to be put back. Ooh. Yeah, Damn, that's so, because so polyjuice is treated so flippantly in this yeah. uh, work of fiction and is the most horrifying thing I might have ever heard of in my life. The consent questions it draws into play. Yeah. Oh my God. 
I don't yeah. think I've ever said like that needs to be a controlled substance, <laughs> but like it really does. Yeah, you of all people, just, Christy. <laughs> I just want to, I like, I, we don't need to get into it, but I am curious as to how I, you're taking DNA, right? Like, if if you lose a leg, if you lose an eye, if you lose part no, of your face, I can't with it's this. not that's <laughs> yeah. not in your DNA. Yeah, this is, like it's we've lost be, track of Mendelian genetics. We're a hundred percent running on the oh god, what was it called? It was the thing where you get whatever your traits are from your parents. The stupid example from seventh grade science was like, so if you clipped a dog's ears, its do- well, its p- puppies would also have clipped ears. And it's like, obviously, this is a bad theory. And it's like, okay, but this isn't what people meant. They meant sometimes. And also, they were wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> but wizards and magic might not know about that. Uh, is that how it fucking works? I just like yeah, I don't know. That's why, that's why because she like... came up with the softest magic system I've ever seen in my life. You have Literally. to be incredibly powerful to use this spell. To use this spell, you say the words and move the stick. And if you're powerful <laughs> enough, it works. What does powerful mean? I don't. It means <laughs> more soft, dramatic. The no, softest every... magic systems are the best for the drama, and that's why we went that's, with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, honestly, that that makes sense. That would actually explain a lot if just like because that would explain why they still act like it's the Victorian era. They like started figuring uh. out how science works and then it started <laughs> affecting magic. It's like, oh shit, there's rules now. God, just stop <laughs> learning. Everyone stop, stop learning. learning. <laughs> I'm just saying, if magic is powered on some level by force of will, your understanding of the universe is going to impact it. Holy shit. Wow. Um, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, Hey Riddle Riddle, did like an elaborate two-part episode where they were like spoofing Harry Potter, and it was like two kids who th- they did because it was improv. That it was it was like two kids who did every time they just like flippantly said Avada Kedavra like in conversation, like accidentally murdered someone. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So, yeah, Dumbledore's just, like, explaining what the Triwizard Tournament is. You know, I mean, you know what it is. Three champions, three magical tasks, probably not four unless there's a fourth one. It was previously disbanded for too much child death, but now they're willing to take that risk again. How much child death was there that wizards <laughs> decided they needed to stop? Well, and once again, the only person who seems to react in any way to this news is Hermione who responds with death toll, which is, to me, the most valid possible response to a sentence death that includes the word death toll and pertains to students who are children (laughs) at a boarding school or three, as the case happens to be with the Triwizard Tournament. But just, just once again, child endangerment is what we do here. No, but... Yeah, it's a feature, not a bug. It's perfectly <laughs> safe this year. They've put in precautions. They are at the Gryffindor table, so I'm not surprised that no one else cares about death. <laughs> I just like I know I've brought this up before, but I maintain that it's like incredibly bonkers that the government would decide to undertake this and the Quidditch World Cup in the same year. No government would make that choice. I don't believe it for one second. Um, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm not buying it. It'd be like, like literally trying to do the World Cup and the Winter Olympics in the same year. Yeah, it's just like hard no. We're not doing that. Maybe 
I don't know, maybe, like, while they were coordinating the World Cup, like, they were able to get a bunch of shit done, like, simultaneously, and they were just like, we might as well just do both of these. They do have the access to Crumb, obviously. That premium Crumb access. That premium, premium (laughs) Crumb. That sweet KK. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Yeah, so... Dumbledore describes that an impartial judge will be choosing the champions, and then he also explains that there's an age restriction of 17 for the first time ever. You could say that the Triwizard Tournament is the restricted section if you are under age. Aww. <laughs> Thank you. She said the thing. <laughs> she said the secret word. It only comes up like once a book. I got to really shoehorn it in there. <laughs> Um, dinner is over. Bye. They leave the Great Hall. They're all like, oh, my God, I don't care about death at all. I'm going to trick everyone. I'm going to trick magic. I'm so good at magic. I'm so good at magic that not only am I going to find a way to get around Dumbledore's age limit, but I also stand a chance of winning this contest. That's like how confident all these people are. Gryffindors. Although, interestingly, uh, uh, spoilers, but a Hufflepuff is who goes through. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Food for thought. No. He's, like, he's their only one. He's Hufflepuff's only hero. <laughs> Poor Hufflepuff. I do respect that Neville is like, I can't, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then no, immediately that's... gets stuck in the yeah, stair. It's... No, it's, <laughs> this would be me. <laughs> Haley would be like, I can't do that. And I would be in the middle of pep talking her. And then she would drip into the stair and be like, you say, you say. <laughs> yeah. I like no, that Ron exactly stands how it would go up. down. Ron stands up for Neville to the suit of armor that starts laughing at him for falling into the Very staircase. Cute. And Ron's it's made, such a good it's friend. the best, it's one of the best Ron moments. Moments. He's a good Very boy. Good. Because we're Molly so mean. Raised him right. We're so mean to Neville all the time. Yes. Like on a nar- again on a narrative level, we just always choose the meanest possible way to talk about whatever Neville is going through. Because it's usually yeah. not that boy's fault. Yeah. He is put in preposterous situations he did not ask to be in. And Mm -hmm. of a sudden finds himself once again facing death with these three weirdos who won't leave him alone. Like, (laughs) he wants to be left in peace. I also found it very uh, interesting, like this chapter and the last chapter, that like they keep bringing up Neville's grandmother. Hmm. So that you can be reminded, oh, yeah, Neville lives with his grandmother, right? Remember, Neville lives with his grandmother? Because later on, you're going to find out in this book why Neville lives with his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Man, that's something that the films were like, we don't have time to take on this. We don't. <laughs> we're just going to make a passive mention and never address it again. The yeah. worst choice. So rude. <laughs> Give me the four hour extended edition. Give me the Neville cut. The Neville <laughs> cut. I need the long bottom cut. <laughs> get your long bottom leaf and get ready. It's like the um, cat's butthole cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh. Oh no. Um uh, pivot, pivot. They go to their common room, they go up to their dorms, and then Harry's like having himself a little nighttime fantasy. <laughs> About what if he won the Triwizard Tournament and, like, Cho thought I was hot, you know? Mm. So, that's the chapter. This boy is tame-ass fantasies, I'm just saying. It's so, it's literally that she's there smiling at him. And also, <laughs> also that she's in focus, unlike the rest of the crowd, which is just like, Harry, 
Are you wearing your glasses? I'm concerned. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> you need those, bud. <laughs> wow. Yay. He's back home and probably nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> no, no, certainly no one is going to die this year. Definitely no children. Hogwarts is the safest place that Hagrid knows about. <laughs> they, <laughs> they do say that a lot. I don't think he travels one. often. <laughs> He's never been anywhere. <laughs> safer than his hut. Which is so flammable. Oh, no. Um, anyway. Um, does anyone have any last thoughts about this chapter? I do uh, just want to touch briefly on Dumbledore's relationship with the twins. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is a huge student body, but he has, like, a special little friendship with, like, Fred and George specifically. Like, he was about to tell Fred, like, a joke he heard over the summer and McGonagall had to stop him. <laughs> I, I bet Dumbledore sought him, them out later to tell the joke anyway. <laughs> Just like or, corners Fred oh, on the way to class. Like, okay, so at the bar. <laughs> Wait, or vice versa. The twins corner him and are like, professor, professor. Oh, what was that joke you got to <laughs> Boys, yeah. I was drunk that night. I don't remember. <laughs> what joke? No, he does very clearly have such a special place in his heart for the twins. Um, and, and I think we really see that the most each book at the feast uh, when, when we're given that opportunity. Because in the first book, he like mm. stops to conduct as they oh, sing the yeah. dirge version of the Hogwarts song. Mm, so he's, yeah. been, he's been cheering for the Weasley twins for a hot minute, as he should. Because, as we know, he's here for the drama. And what's better for the drama than a matched pair of chaos gingers? <laughs> <laughs> True. You did also just make me think, um, you know, this is the first time in like three years that Harry has managed to attend the opening of uh, this feast. Um, right. Yeah, he's surprised that the sang- Sorting Hat song is different. They, yeah. But they usually sang the school song. Didn't in the first book they sang the school song at yeah. the end of the feast? I think so, so we're just, that just got, did he get voted down? Did Dumbledore get voted down? <laughs> Was there like a staff intervention? <laughs> just like, Albus, we're not fucking doing this anymore. <laughs> this is beneath our dignity. That's funny. We formed a union. <laughs> Dobby inspired us. <laughs> oh. oh, and it comes full circle. Okay, great. Are we ready to move on to some plugs? Sure. Yeah. I would love to start by plugging our Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the podcast and fund things like episode transcriptions and um, occasional like donations to nonprofits and uh, also the sustenance of this very podcast. Yeah, for our dollar a month tier, you can join our Discord community and hang out with us. It's a very fun place to be. And if you join us there, you also have the option to join our network book club, which is super fun. Um, And this month we're reading Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, which I've, I've already mentioned before and I love it so much. Adam, you don't want people to find you on the internet. So tell us what you've been watching, playing, listening to, reading lately that you think that listeners of our podcast would enjoy. Uh, I'm going to plug The Calyx Charm. Uh, It's a book by Mae Peterson, who is a friend and absolutely magnificent author. Um, It is, uh, I'm going to describe it as sci-fi and romance. Um, It definitely falls into both of those, but it's also got heavy fantasy 
vibes. Um, and one of my favorite sets of magic systems. Um, it's cool. the third book in, <laughs> oh, there's a name for this series. Is it, uh, Lord of the Last Heartbeat, I think is the first book and name of the series. Um, cool. but they are very good. And she writes just the most emotionally convincing characters I've read in a really long time and uh, is just an incredibly thoughtful person and writer and everyone should read her books. They're very good. Oh, thank you so much for that recommendation. Haley, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, hi, I'm Haley. Um, if you must, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, the writ to wit. Um, sometimes I say stuff on there. That's... That's She's what I got funny. to say on that. She's Sometimes. quite funny. It happens. Um, Your bio and, on Twitter used to say, I've been told I'm funny. <laughs> and now it says, noted public embarrassment. Wait, it's so good. Oh, that's so You're good. Right. It got better. <laughs> so good. Is it not more accurate? Um, and I, oh, this, this episode, I am going, I'm doing National Novel Writing Month, guys. I have nothing new you for really? you. Yes. Oh, I am too. Oh, I much strength to it. both of you. <laughs> Yes, twice. <laughs> I asked you how it was going. <laughs> Sorry, we just we there's been so many birthday parties. We've it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm doing that. I got I got nothing new going on. So what I'm gonna plug is uh, Savannah Gilbo. Um, she is a book coach and editor who runs a blog um, and also like a couple of courses that you can pay for online about just like story structure, especially for um, things like long form genre fiction, romance, fantasy, sci-fi uh, stuff that involves uh, like multiple character perspectives, that kind of thing. Um, I've like, I've gone for one of the paid courses. It was really, I, uh, there wasn't a whole lot in there that I hadn't like already learned at some point, but Indeed. there was like one nugget of information that I was like, worth it. Um, but like her blog in particular is just a lot of advice about how to do things that like are very, very specific that you would only run into when writing certain kinds of books. Um, Interesting. And she also has a lot of uh, very organized beat sheets um, like save the cat, uh, a lot of things about like the the beats that like a character arc should hit, mm -hmm. um, the beats that a story arc should hit. Uh, there are a lot of those, and they're just really useful guidelines just for pacing, just for g the general pacing of a story. Uh, so if you find yourself struggling with mechanics, especially for like a larger piece of fiction that has been kicking around in your head for you know a decade or two, um, you know it's it's worth a shot. She's got she's got some good information on there. So Savannah Gilbo. Nice. Thank you so much for your recommendation. Thank you. Today, I read Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston, which is a very spicy, queer, political romance. <laughs> and I had a good time, and I read it all in one sitting. <laughs> so I recommend it for something upbeat, where you know it ends adorably, because just look at the cover. It's like, that's a book that ends adorably. <laughs> well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm so glad I could do this. Yeah. And Haley, as always, my co-pilot, thank you. Thank you for having <laughs> me as, as many, not always, but a lot of the time. 
Many a time. Many a time. Many a time. <laughs> All right, gang. I got to go finish reading this book, The Triwizard Tournament, a millennia of cheating before this book lies about its age again. Bye. 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 The Restricted Section is delighted to be a member of the Movie Night Crew Podcast Network, featuring other amazing podcasts such as Content and Capable. Having recently become an adult, Sam is on a quest to find out how to actually be one. Each week, Sam asks people how they are content with their life and feel capable as a functioning adult in society. Hi, my name is Sam, and I've recently become an adult. But let's be honest, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Like, can I still enjoy the kiddie rides at theme parks? And how do I look important and feel relaxed while traveling? Join me as I ask people how they are content with their life and feel capable as a functioning adult in society. Each Monday, myself and a guest will chat about a topic they feel passionate about and our adventures and struggles of being an adult in the real world. The Restricted Section was created by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Support us on patreon.com slash restricted section. For as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our Discord community server, which is a really happy place to be. And there are other rewards as well, such as bonus episodes and Zoom happy hour hangouts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod, on Twitter at Restricted Pod, and on Facebook at Restricted Section Pod. Also, feel free to shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com to share your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or even lavish praise. There's just, there's too many people on the internet, Christy. I can't do it. Also, do I need to call you Tina during this? Will I confuse the listeners calling you Christy? It would actually be, I think, really cute if you just called me Christy. I'm going to stick with that. Because there's only like three, there's only three people left in my life that still call (laughs) me Christy. Well, actually it's four. That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network.